let's let's start it out with a question. So we're talking about something. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. What do you got for questions? I got a good one. Uh, what are we calling this thing? Calling it station football. Okay, here we go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Station Football. We got Jack and Matt here. Hi. Uh, we're pretty... How you doing, Matt? <laughs> you want to redo that? Yep. Let's run it back. I'll introduce myself. I'm Jack. I'm Max. Me. <laughs> Hi. Send it to me. We're live. My name's Max. This is my friend Zach. How Say you doing? Hi. We are dedicated football fans, not American football. Soccer, as we call it, we live in the U.S., and we think that the United States is deprived of some, uh, some good, old, good old talk shows. So we're just going to talk, and uh, maybe someone will listen. So Zach, you want to start off this week with a question? Obviously, there has been some mismanagement in the backfield, especially pertaining to keepers. My question to you would be, which shot stopper has been the weakest link between the sticks for their club i think that there's only one person that you can really be thinking of and it has to be adrian (laughs) i mean (laughs) an absolute shocker this weekend he walks out concedes seven to villa i mean it's just embarrassing to say the least i don't think the hay is in that conversation six goals is tough for any keeper but i don't think they're his fault necessarily harry Maguire might be worst keeper of this week honestly but um yeah, Adrian's my vote. I think, I mean, you have Pickford. I put Pope and Ederson. I mean, Ederson just missed one in the box, which allowed it to be 1-1 for the Leeds. But, I mean, if you're, if you're England, it's kind of a struggle. Well, I'll tell you who looked absolutely awful this week. Nick Pope looked shocking, surprisingly enough. I mean, We love Nick great. Pope. We love Nick Pope. FIFA legend. Amazing, been been good for like three years now, but just absolutely shocking in the net. He looked not calm at his feet. He couldn't complete a pass properly, and the shot stopping that is usually what he does was not there. So I think uh, Burnley don't look amazing this year, which is bad, which is bad for Burnley because they have not signed a single soul to help them out of that gutter that they're in right now. So if Nick Pope's not the guy, you go Jordan Pickford? <laughs> Well, the English uh, the English uh, goalkeeper situation is interesting. I think Jordan Pickford is the guy for at least right now until Nick Pope can kind of figure his things out. I think Nick Pope probably needs a move, especially if Burnley isn't getting any better. But uh, I think Pickford can really show why he's a good shot, shot stopper in the England defense. He's a decent shot stopper, and he works well with his feet when he has time. The problem is that Everton's defense hasn't given him time in about four years. Every single time someone plays them, whether it was Brighton last week or any other team in the league, they always press super high and don't and don't give Pickford a chance to use his feet. So he looks like a mug. <laughs> so and he made another hoping. error this week. Another error this week. I feel like they and, keep trust him. Like with the great Everton squad that they're finally building, and they still have Leo Pickford in that. And I'll tell you what, they just signed um, a brand new keeper on loan. I. Let me pull up his name real fast. I think, I think that was a good signing. Pickford for picking the ball out of the net. It's it's not looking great because for the first time in a while, it looks like they have a staunch defense. I mean, Ben Godfrey, um, Ben Godfrey coming in, it looks like they'll be 
decent. Now they have um they have a new keeper in there to see if they can challenge for picks for his job and maybe make him a bit better. I don't know. With Dean Henderson on the bench, it's kind of a – I want to see Dean. I'd I would like love to see Dean for the England squad. It really would be something special. I'd like to see Dean. All right, let's run through the games. Well, uh, good start off the day. Chelsea 4-0 to Palace. The uh, good old battle of the bubblegum kits. Could have hit snooze on the alarm early in <laughs> the game. You get that extra 45 minutes of sleep through the first half because Chelsea put all four goals in the second half. Chilwell smasher on his debut. Zuma with a second header goal of the year and two calm, crisp Jorginho hop, skipping a jump penalties. Uh, <laughs> I I still don't think that you know I still don't think that Chelsea's kicking on full gear right now. What do you think? I think I think that Chelsea absolutely has somewhere to give. I think they have a chance to kind of blow up in the league in the early part of the season, considering the fact that some other teams have definitely been slow to start. But if we're talking second tier teams right now, Chelsea is definitely in that second tier because Man City does not look amazing. I also think the second biggest takeaway from this game is Wilfred Zaha. A player who looks absolutely demoralized and could not care less. To, but you said he uh, was great in the beginning. Well, he's the first two years trying to show off his show off his abilities to clubs who could buy him. What the transfer well, window closes, he goes back into Slumpville. Well, I mean, it's, it must be kind of upsetting. Can you imagine being <laughs> Wilfred Zaha working working his ass off? He's he's getting older. A bigger move might not come. He's twenty seven. He's got to move soon. About to be 28, or else that move may, ne- may just never come. He might be end up, end up playing for Crystal Palace until his contract. You don't want to be Jordan Ayew in up top for Crystal Palace for your fifth year. Yeah, no, you, you'd like, to, you'd you'd like to be anywhere. And I mean, Wilfred Zaha would help any top team, uh, whether it's coming off the bench in, in a system that Pep runs or it's starting every game for an Arsenal or a Man- or Manchester United. He would help any team, but I think he's just sad to be still working with the same team over and over again, waiting for a big move that never seems to materialize because he's never a top target. He's always one below. Did you see, did you see Tammy fight with Jorginho for the second penalty by chance? As a matter of fact, I did. I thought that that was confused me. Insane. Imagine if, if Jorginho had missed the first penalty, maybe you have that conversation. Or if Tammy had won the penalty, but guess what Tammy did not do? He didn't <laughs> win the penalty. It's crazy to me that he was like, I'm going to take our penalty taker off the ball when he didn't win the penalty. Insane. For a player who's also fighting for game time, I'm not like, why are you trying to create a scene? When also like, I'm, I don't know, are you trying to get, on, like, get your name on the score sheet? And like, I, I just don't get it. I, I mean, every striker wants to score goals. Absolutely. But doesn't make any sense to me to fight with the person, especially in a Premier League, which right now is defined by people who take every single penalty kick. You take the penalty kicks, and that's just it. No matter if you're a striker or a left wing, if you take the penalty kick, you take them. And it seems weird to fight Jorginho over a penalty kick in which you're already winning 3-0. Very odd. Very I odd. I couldn't tell you a time that Tammy even took a penalty for outside of a penalty uh, pens at the end of a game. All right, move on to – uh, the steamrolling Bright, uh, Everton team, 4-2 to two over Brighton. Everton rolled 12 points from 12 for the first time ever in the Premiership. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin continues his scoring spree, looking like Jamie Vardy out there, four straight games with a goal. 
once again, we talk about Pickford dropping an easy, easy ball, landing right to the feet of your favorite player, Mape, who just squeaks it through the legs of also your favorite player, Keen, Kino. Uh, Hamiz, if there was ever a question, can he do it on a rainy day in Merseyside? It was answered. Hamiz is pr- providing two goals and a free kick assist to Yeri Mina. And on top of all of it, Juan Basuma hits an absolute worldie. That doesn't really mean much. Still at 4-2 stomping. Uh, I mean, is, is, this, is this ever team, team the, uh, the real deal? Well, when you think about what does a team need to be the real deal? They need a manager. They have that. Carlo. They need, they need squad depth and strength, which they've just signed. Um, and then they need a world. They need a world class player. They need someone that changes the game in their favor. I think they wanted that to be Richarlison for the past couple of years, but guess what? They got it in the twenty million dollar man, James Rodriguez. He is the touch of class. Only that twenty Everton million needed. was he? Only twenty million for perhaps so far the best player throughout the first four games. And Everton Lacott, they look. They look like they. They look like they can really do some damage. I don't think. Even though Liverpool got absolutely shellacked this weekend, I think that um, I don't think Everton can claim to be anywhere near the best team in the Premier League. But I think top four is within their reach. It, top six, I think, was their goal to start the year. But top four looks like it's plausible with how well they're playing recently. They've got they've got the the toughest matchup of the year, maybe the Merseyside derby against Liverpool. How do you see that game? It's going to be electric, is what it's going to be. Um, Obviously, no Alisson. That's the big thing for that Liverpool versus Everton matches. Alisson covers a lot of mistakes that that defense makes, and they can score tons of goals. But if they're going to be letting them in, they got to score more than they can let in. And Everton looked hot to keep going. I also think Everton's been leaking goals, but their new defensive signing, Ben Godfrey, I think is going to help out in that respect. So. Then again, who's not leaking goals right now, right? So true. Fun fact from uh, your friends over here at Station Football. Um, 144 goals the first four weeks, not counting the two games missed by Manchester City, Aston Villa, Manchester United. Uh, last year, there was 104 by this point. So goals are out the wazoo currently for the Premier League. It's absolutely insane. If you're playing fantasy football, fantasy soccer, you want a three-in-the-back formation. Yep, you do not want to be playing with any more defenders than you need to. Um, I'd also say a quick word on Brighton. Obviously not the starlets of this game, but they've definitely been putting up some fights. I mean, Neil Mwapwe might be the most hated player in all of Premier League football, especially by me. But they do look like to be fighting. I mean, Tariq Lamptey's exciting. Um, there's definitely some interest. I think Aaron Connolly on the left wing is also an exciting player. I think Brighton are uh, poised to make maybe a top 10 finish. Well, I guess we'll see. I think Potter's pretty good. I like him. I like him a lot. Yeah, for sure. All right. My possibly favorite team in the league right now, Leeds. Goes up against the Giants of Man City, pulls off a 1-1 draw. Eye-watering display of aggressive pressing football somehow ends in 1-1. Sterling with a great solo goal, then followed by an Ederson miss, another keeper error, leads to a Rodrigo kick-in. I like Leeds. I like Leeds, Zach. I think you'd be crazy not to like Leeds. If you look back at the history, Leeds is a huge club. Um, used to be signing greats, used to be signing European greats, and then kind of fell out of favor as soon as the money dried up and they went down a couple of leagues. But they're back, and Bielsa is cooking. He has that team run like a tight-knit Navy ship, and he keeps, keeps on trucking. Um, this game, obviously, I think it needs to be said that Pep doesn't look like it's on his game. After the, after the game, he said, well, that was f***ing entertaining, and that was absolutely true. 
big, big, big F-bomb for me right there. Huge F-bomb. I think it needs to be said that um, Pep isn't on his game. After the game, he said that was a really entertaining game, and I'm glad I could give it to all of you. But that doesn't seem like the Pep that we've known from Bayern and Barcelona. After his um, mother died from COVID, he seemed a bit lost, which is understandable and totally something that could happen to any person. But this Man City team doesn't seem super driven and are definitely needing of a striker, which they do not have right now. I did not know about Pep's mom. My uh, condolences. The uh, the Sterling goal is pretty great. He he he's good when he's on the left. But like you always say, Sterling's good on the left. But they need a striker back now. I'm surprised they didn't start their uh, their young guy. You're talking, of course, of a Roy Delap. Yeah, Delap, of course, of course. Yeah, Very young player, young talent, but only 17. He's he's not the one for this team right now. They need a. They need Aguero, they need Gabriel Jesus so low. I don't always rate Gabriel Jesus the highest. He works in Pep system, he scores goals, and right now they have no one scoring goals, so they're going to need something. Well, moving on, you got Newcastle 3, Burnley 1, a uh, snooze fest, you'd think. Uh, ends up in four goals. Who's not scoring four goals, really? Good old Ashley Barnes back in the Burnley squad, first time in January. Come on, Ashley. Uh, and then you got Callum Wilson, who looks like the signing of the summer with two goals. And uh, Ashley Westward hitting a uh, peach-perfect volley on top of that. But then you got Nick Pope, who's uh, had this ball stolen right off his front porch, giving away a penalty in the panic of theft. And you'll end up in a 3-1 to Newcastle. I don't really know what to take from this game. I mean, Newcastle, I, th- I think, is pretty boring, and so, so is Burnley. Uh, that's, that's the best I can give. Here's the difference between those two boring. Newcastle may be boring but they're winning games recently. They're doing all right. They're doing what they need to do to get wins and draws. Although another fun fact from your friends at Station Football, only been, uh, only been two draws in the entirety of uh, the league this year. Every other game has been a win or a loss for a team, which is ridiculous. Um, but I don't know. Nick Pope should figure himself out. I trust himself to get back into the game a bit. Uh, I don't know if the Burnley defense will figure themselves out, and that's a problem for Burnley. Um, Cal Wilson looks amazing. Um, Alan St. Maximin is a baller. It's just if he can uh, kind of keep that form going past more than one day. So I guess we'll see what he has um, next uh, two weeks from now after we get back from the international break. But for right now, I think Newcastle is in a good spot to uh, hopefully challenge for top 10. I think they're definitely going to be looking uh, somewhere near a bright, and especially with Sheffield falling out of form and Burnley falling out of form. I think there's some spots in that top 10 for uh, people like Brighton and Newcastle to come in and take those spots. Alan C. Maxman also had a fantastic solo goal to rival Sterling's. Uh, then you got you got West Ham three over Leicester, who's hot, just coming off a five spot on Man City. Somehow the rolling hammers get to put up three and keep the clean sheet on their fantastic stretch of form. I don't think I've ever seen them play better. I don't think I've ever seen a West Ham team play better than since the Great Pyatt incident of, what, 2016? Yeah, uh, i got to be honest. I don't think there's a single team in this league that wants to win the league. Every <laughs> single person gets hot for a couple games and then immediately stops getting hot. I don't get it. Leicester plays awesome football, and they really get down the line, get it into the middle, get into dangerous spaces, and try and score goals. But West Ham just absolutely overpowered them. Um, with their assistant coach, no David Moyes, obviously. Get better David Moyes. But for right now, West Ham looks to be doing absolutely fine Might without him. Sign. Might be a sign yeah. of something. Never um, a good book. But, yeah. I mean, I watch out got... for West Ham. 
I think they've got it right with this. They're running a five back now, and I think they've got it right. I mean, well, I guess I've just never seen them play well, so whatever they're doing is right. Uh, maybe hire the assistant manager who's filling in for David Moyes while he quarantines in a hotel. But come on, West Ham, right? I, I, my favorite's to get relegated. Hey, hey, come on, you hammers. Come on, you hammers. Another London team. All right, Southampton 2. Oh, I, I can't even read this one. Uh, the baggies, first of all, the baggies have been garbage. Jadepo, finally, who I've been Jennifer. really impressed with. Re- what? Jennepo. Jadepo? Jennepo. No, Jennepo. 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 I think it's a D. Dude. Jadepo? Jennepo. 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 Musa Jennepo. Musa Jennepo, who I've been particularly impressed with, gets his first of the year. And uh, Oral Romeo with an unlikely leaping full volley. And like I've said, baggies have been shit. I'll tell you what, the, uh, the baggies are definitely an interesting team. People like Grady Diangana, Mateus Pereira, and Callum Robinson up top are fantastic young talents, but the defense leaves so much to be desired. And every time they step onto a pitch, they seem outmatched, if not for a bit of class in their front three. And I just don't think that front three is going to be able to keep it going long term to uh, save save their season. I think West Brom might go down. It's only been four games, but it does not look promising. Although a new center back signing, Anderson from Lyon for a loan. We love him. We love him. We, we love Anderson. We'll hopefully help him out in the uh, second half of this uh, league, you know. Jennepo, Jennepo, Jennepo. Who could get that name wrong? Arsenal 2, 1 to Sheffield. Two pretty second-half goals. Classic Arsenal within five minutes of each other. Saka and Pepe off the mark for the season. However, slightly more important was the lone David McGoldrick goal to break Sheffield's over 600-minute EPL scoring drought, including last year. They finally get a goal on the board, Zach. We need to see more McDoubles if they, if they want to see any success. I'll tell you what, David McGoldrick picks about three games every eight to play well. And this one, he happened to slot one home. Um, his bald head shines like the morning sun. And that's what that goal was. Absolutely beautiful. It warmed your body. I think the young boys on the Arsenal side looked really good. Saka, every single time he touches the ball, it looks like something might happen. Um, and this time, it ended in a goal off a really well-placed header. Didn't give him a second thought. He said, I'm putting this away. Two hands up. Said, bang, right through with Definitely the forehead. Definitely score that in FIFA. Session out 20, you're right. Um, and then Nicola Pepe, lots of criticism right now, Twitter and throughout the media. But he looked really good out there as soon as he got put on his preferred position and drove the ball home and found an absolutely brilliant spot on the left side of the goal to uh, finish a great solo shot. Now, I've got three questions on this game. Zach is the uh, station football Arsenal fan. Uh, obviously, this game was all Arsenal, all about Arsenal. Um, I've been saying sell your Sheffield stock so we can get that right out of the way. But, Zach, tell us why Arsenal's top four worthy. Well, first off, talk about a deadline day signing. Thomas Partey, he starts for any any team in the entirety of the Premier League, and he's truly a top five center midfielder in the world right now. And he's common signed for Arsenal, which is ridiculous. It feels weird having Arsenal signing be actually wanted by other people in the league. So that's fun. That's reason one, I think he's going to absolutely dominate the midfield and allow us to create more, especially in uh, Mikel Arteta's 4-3-3 with him sitting at the base of the pivot. The second reason is Mikel Arteta. He has absolutely changed the culture of this team. Everything about Arsenal evolves around how Mikel Arteta has set up the world. Three, I think it's got to be Aubameyang. He hasn't even hit the ground running this year. He had one goal in the first game against Fulham. 
And for the past three, he's just kind of been flirting with stuff, not really getting involved with the game. I think Aubameyang leads this team to a top four finish, and I'm excited to see it. Hopefully we can get some more chance creation. Hopefully Saka plays a bit of center mid sometimes. We can flirt with that idea. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Top, top four Arsenal is something that I've had down since before we made signings, and I think it's absolutely happening thanks to Mikel Arteta. Well, I've said so. Your Sheffield stock now. Uh, they signed Brewster from from uh, Liverpool, which is, will be interesting. They need a striker badly. One goal, one goal in the past six hundred over six hundred minutes of EPL football. All right, Wolves won Fulham zero. It's a result you'd probably expect, but one to Wolves. They look like they're falling out of form. Uh, Fulham finally moved from a back five to a back four, which worked amazingly because they don't concede three plus goals for the first time all year. Yes, Fulham. Nevertheless, they still lose. Uh, Fulham uh, just just a little bit better than than the Baggies, but besides the fact that their coach wears stunning suits, I don't really see much from them. Mitrovic has been kind of underwhelming. Uh, on the other side, you got Wolves, who kind of seems to be falling out of form. I mean, you like you said a while ago, the Matt Doherty uh, loss might be bigger than, than they expected. I think that Matt Doherty was the perfect player for the Wolves system, and the Wolves just benefited from him running up and down the wing and doing a lot offensively and helping Adama Traore do what Adama Traore does best, which is get down the line and skill and body people. And Matt Doherty found the passes that needed to be made to Ruben Neves in the middle. Um, and he's a staunch defender. He's quite good on the back end as well. So I think Wolves might be regretting that decision a bit, especially because Nelson Semedo has not looked amazing. But it's a win. Three points are three points. Hopefully they can start to find their form again. Wolves are an exciting team. Adama Traore is an exciting player. But I guess we'll see. Obviously, Matt Doherty now at Tottenham. I mean, if, if you want to hop right into that next game, talk about someone who's on the bench. Well, we come into the uh, home stretch, the most exciting two games of the week by a uh, wide margin. Country mile. Would you expect it? Spurs six, one to man you. We've been talking about this one all week. Another woeful United performance finally gets taken advantage of by none other than Spurs' Jose Mourinho team putting up four goals in the first half. The day started off well for United with a classic Bruno Fernandez pen in the first minute off a Davidson Sanchez foul in the box, but Spurs retaliate quickly with two goals. And on the topic of retaliation, Martial retaliates with a slap of his own on Eric Lamella's face, which saw him see red, and it was all downhill from there for United. Two things I've taken away from this game. One, if it wasn't already clear, which it was to most of us over on this side of the pond, all he got at Solskjaer is not the man. I think they're waiting for Sancho to come because you can play super well at the end of the season thinking we're going to get Champions League so we can sign awesome players coming come into the next year and absolutely murder everyone with our awesome players. But when you only sign Cavani and Telus, you're looking around thinking, what are we doing here? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seems like a yes man, and he doesn't seem to have a hold of this team. I'd love to see Dino in the back instead of De Gea to see how he runs that defense. And second, I think that we'd really, really, really love to see a VAR on the Martial uh, slap on Lamella because personally, I think the Lamella elbow to begin with was a red card, and that totally changes the game. I'd love to see a 10-man versus 10-man game. However, I think Tottenham played fantastic, unfortunately. They looked awesome out there. Harry Kane seems to have dropped back into a more of assisting role, and he is murdering it. I've said that 
the Eric Lamella elbow may or may not have been a red card. Probably should have been checked by VAR. Nevertheless, Martial is a professional player. Should not be bitch slapping anybody like that. However, my question to you is, there were three chances for red cards on United in that game. Martial slapping Eric Lamella. Eric Bay stomping on, uh, I believe, Harry Kane's leg. And Luke Shaw's horrendous tackle in the back, not going for the ball at all to stop a stop a significant chance. Which one was the biggest red card of the day? I have to go with Luke Shaw. I mean, personally, Martial should not be slapping anyone, obviously, but it was a slap on the neck. I've done it to my brother a thousand times, and, you know, I, I guess I get told off eventually. But a red card, red card seems harsh, although any slap is a slap and it's a red card. But if we're talking about severity, Luke Shaw murdered that man and it's crazy it's crazy crazy. and maybe he the ref just felt bad that he didn't want to give a card after they're already down so many goals and another red card but absolutely murdered him clear red card taken from behind so i mean that's a blatantly obvious question to me as well for me he murdered uh i think i think bay's stomp on harry kane was horrendous i don't know how that didn't get checked by var but he literally stomped on his ankle. That was so that like I just don't know how he got away with it. I don't know what he was thinking. I I actually would be surprised if he doesn't get a match ban when the league checks it because that was ridiculous. He clearly went to step on Harry Kane's leg. Yeah. I, I just United's in shambles, and honestly, I love to see it. You love to see United in shambles. I'd love to see Spurs in shambles as well, but I guess I guess now we're here. I'll take United. All right, and then the biggest shock of the week. You'd never see it coming. The absolute quesadilla chase. Villa 7 to Liverpool. As if Liverpool told United, whatever you can do, I can do better. They concede seven goals to last day survivors, Aston Villa. Only able to sneak a solid brace as Liverpool concede an Ollie Watkins hat trick, a Grealish brace, and two outside the area deflections. One from John McGinn and one from newcomer Ross Barkley. Come on, you villains. My question here to you, Zach, is do we have a legitimate multi-team title race on our hands this year? I, I, after last week, Liverpool looked like they had a gear that no other team in the league can reach against Arsenal. They looked like they dominated them, and, and whenever they wanted to, they could score goals. This past week, it was it, 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 I think really it was all about how much Liverpool need Ali Son. He stops so many extra chances that people get. And three deflections is tough. Obviously not the best. And every goal changes every game. But even if you don't get the three deflections, it's still 4-2. They let Ollie Watkins in twice. Joe Gomez is actually torched. Um, It seems that obviously Adrian is not the guy. Adrian is not the guy. But the defense – looks kind of scared. And I mean, even in the Arsenal game, Alison Becker makes an unbelievable save to save the game from going to 2-2 and they bring it 3-1 by the end of the game. Without Alisson, the defense looks like they can be filleted on a daily basis. So multi-team title race seems plausible, especially with Everton. Obviously, it seems like they're the only ones who care at this point. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I've been pretty down in the dumps with how this year's been going. So watching watching whatever we get to see, whatever this weird, wacky display of scoring football we've been seeing has been 
been a big uh, upbringer for me. I, I get to enjoy it. And as someone who's not really dedicated to any team, it's fun to watch everyone score around and play around. Tell you what, if there's one exciting team, it's Aston Villa. Ollie Watkins looks like a born and bred football talent. Jack Grealish is a born and bred football talent. Ross Barkley coming in looks great. Bertrand Traore looks great um, when he gets a chance to hit it with his left foot, not his right. Um, the defense, Matty Cash, a true Nottingham Forest talent. Absolutely fantastic at the back. And of course, my man, Emil, Emmy Martinez, shot stopping for the villains. It just looks like a great time out there. They look like they're having fun. They're young. They're hungry. They want to win games. If you're talking about the three, four most likely to get top 10 this year, you have to think Villains in there. You have to think Leeds United is up there, and you have to think Newcastle is. When you talk I don't about think are up there. When you're talking about teams that look like they might get top 10 when they haven't previously, uh, those are the three for me. How do you think Villains are going to make top 10? I love them, but come on. I just, I, I mean, they've just desecrated. They can score goals, man. They just, when Ollie Watkins hadn't had a chance to score a goal, I mean, he, he was putting, he was getting in the spots that he wasn't putting away. Now he's put away a hat trick, obviously on the worst keeper in the Premier League. However, I think he's going to have the confidence to keep going. And I don't see, I don't see why. I think that their defense is not amazing. But Tyrone Mings and Matty Cash, they have enough to be a decent enough midfield where they, if they only let in one goal with Emmy Martinez at the back shot stopping and he can make some game saving saves. I think, I think Emmy's been pretty good. He's been fantastic, really. So I think they have the opportunity to come top 10 with the goals they can score. Jack Grealish is going to score goals. Ross Barkley will create goals. Despite him being kind of a boring center attacking mid, he will create goals. And if Ollie Watkins can put them home, they look good. I, I have full confidence in the villains this year. All the way from, all the way from, why can't I remember the f***ing name? Uh, all the way from, oh, all the way from Birmingham. Why am I thinking so dumb? Yeah, all the way from Birmingham. Came all the way, and I think they're great. So, you know, Max, if we're going to talk about one thing, you might as well, might as well talk about VAR. Um, obviously, I'm a proponent of VAR. I think it's a good thing for certain things, and for others, it's awful. I think the quickness needs to be improved, but it's already better than it was last season. I think we should set some very clear offside rules so that the quickness of VAR can be um, enhanced and so that VAR becomes a bit more streamlined in a sense that he can look at his watch, similar to how the goal texting system works. He can look at his watch, say, that's offside, and we can raise the flag. Because I do not like the anti-celebrations of people wondering if VAR works out or not. No one's celebrating goals properly. It seems like we're not using it in the right positions. What, are they off having a drink while we're supposed to be looking at the VAR cameras? Like, I wish we could just have a consistent basis for when we use VAR. And the handball was obviously a problem. And none of those happened this week. I don't think a single one of those handballs well, is called this it. week. They fixed it. So right? they, they brought in. They they said that they were the referees were allowed to use discretion when making the calls now or something. I don't know. The, my problem with VAR yeah. is it's just I want it to be all of us. Like I want it now. I want it now. I want I want everything to happen right now. Like yes. I want them to know if they're offside now. I want them to know if they're not offside now. It's really frustrating. I mean, I don't know. I, I liked it, and then uh, I don't know. I the, it's just so specific with rules now. Rules. The biggest problem rules. is that the Premier League refs don't seem to be trained enough to call the game properly, and so we're stuck with VAR. I think that there needs to be some help on both sides, whether that's streamlining VAR or training the refs a bit better, or just making sure that things happen in, in a consistent manner. Because the rules just seem to be a bit all over the place. I don't think VAR is ever going to go away, so I think we just have to improve it. But the truth is, the stoppages are what kills kills the mental of the game. They kill the 
the timing and what we know is football. I, I played football from a young age because it's a game that doesn't stop. I, I watch it because I can watch it for 45 minutes, do something, and then immediately watch it again for 45 minutes. It's, it's a game that you don't want to stop. And so when there are the stoppages with VAR, it really makes you, uh, really irks you a bit. So I think we'll just have, it's a, it's a, it's a learning process. So My opinion on VAR has swung dramatically in the past month or so. Yeah, VAR is a big thing for me. I think the goals is the second biggest thing for me because – I couldn't tell you if it's just teams being absolutely murdered when they're getting murdered or it's just goals, goals, goals. People are just scoring more. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if there is a specific reason, if it's the lack of a preseason, if there are just more attacking teams, if it's because people have tried to adopt the Bielsa clock model, which is score as many as you need to win the game, no matter how you give up. Be a quick adoption. Well, Niels has been running a similar type of offense, but I mean, Klopp identified an area where he could win games, and that was through Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andrew Robertson running up and down the flanks and scoring goals and getting assists. And to be completely honest, Trent Alexander-Arnold is a liability on the defense. Yeah. So I think it's interesting to think how many goals can you score? And if you look at Joel Gomez, he also does not look safe in a 1v1 attempt. And I think that maybe other people are adopting the idea that a forward left and right back is helpful for scoring goals, but it doesn't mean you're not going to concede. And so you have to come back. Well, with the with the topic of scoring, I'll tell you someone who's not scoring. My boy that I said, I told you I would not draft, Timo Werner, still goalless in the EPL. I think he's been uh, a little bit, a little bit not good. He looks dangerous on the ball, and he looks fast and quick. Uh, and I mean, obviously, if well, here's the thing: if you look at the two two big signings from Chelsea, you have Werner and Havertz. They've been playing together for years. They've been playing in youth teams and actual Germany teams for years. Havertz gets on this uh, on the score sheet with an assist to uh, Callum Hudson Odoi this past weekend. With a little give and go, two good players do just doing, cool. yeah, yeah, just two good players doing two good things. But it's really Callum Hudson Odoi doing what he needs to do, and Kai Havertz doing exactly what he needs to do, which is setting him up. Neither has been great, but they're both young. They'll have time, and maybe it's just not this season. But I think give them a couple months, maybe give them an international break, let them return to people they know, kind of talk about what they've been through, and then get back to going. But you're absolutely right. Timo Werner has not looked good, especially because he was the assured product. Kai Havertz was the one everyone was like, he's young, he'll be there eventually. But Timo Werner was the was the buy that everyone's saying. For sure. He is the guy. Right now, he will come in and he will change the game and he will score goals. And so far, that hasn't happened. But so you know waiting, who's scoring but... goals? By domestic. By domestic. Ben Showell. We always knew that ben was Showell, Ben Showell had a fantastic game. Similar to Arsenal, Chelsea needs to get rid of some Deadwood. Marcus Alonso has to go. Some of these center backs have to go. Should go to the blade. But I, don't, I don't know if Chelsea's defense has it still. Edward Mendy probably is okay. I don't think I've seen him play outside Gotta of Chelsea. Gotta be better than Kepa. Anyone but Kepa. Yeah, Kepa, Kepa looks scared. Net. Kepa, the, the thing that scared me about Nick Pope is he looked just like Kepa in that last game before Edward Mendy came in. He looked scared. He looked like he didn't want to even look at the ball because if it came near him, he wasn't going to make the save. So, I don't know. I'm kind of, that's, what, that's, that's what gets me nervous about Pope is the uh, you can kind of see it in his eyes. I'm hoping it's just some early season jitters, though. Yeah, I mean, like I always say, by domestic. I love Ben Chilo. I knew that was going to be a good signing. I knew that was going to be a good signing. Anyone who got him, he he just looked so good for Leicester. I steer clear of Timo Werner if you're playing fantasy. 
I don't trust him. Definitely not when he's playing left wing. I'm not sure why they're putting him there, especially when Tammy is missing sitters on the back post like he did against, what was it, Brighton? Yeah, I'll tell you what. Mr. Big Chances missed Tammy Abraham. <laughs> Tammy if, Abraham if and Gabriel Jesus. If, if he stepped up to that uh, to that PK spot, he'd probably put it way left. Because <laughs> if there's one thing Tammy Abraham loves to do, it's miss a big chance. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I, I think give it a bit of time and Timo Werner will come around. But if there's one thing that you always say, it is by domestic. And another domestic buy who has significantly helped the Aston Villa team, Matty Cash. You'll see another domestic buy in Ben Godfrey coming to Everton. We'll see how he does. Norwich product from last year. Um, had to get away from that team. If you watched any of Norwich last year, which you probably didn't because they were awful, he was the best defender slash player on their team almost week in and week out. He looked like he needed more, and everyone around him was just letting him down. So I think Ben Godfrey is an absolutely awesome signing. But, you know, domestic buys are what seem to be saving teams currently. But I guess we'll see. Well, the transfer market wrapped up, and don't 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 forget about uh, Thomas Partey. If you get oh, to yeah. see, him. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another name that's not domestic, but is an absolutely class player. And then COVID nineteen got him. Tiago, what a oh, what a, what a you know, who, an amazing you know why? player he is. You know why? Twenty million dollars, just like James. Yep, cheap, amazing, Dirt controlling cheap. center mids. Dirt cheap. And you have to wonder the, the younger talent. I love young talent. I love seeing young, innovative players come into the game. But Thomas Rodriguez, I guess we'll see with Gareth Bale coming in soon. Thiago, older players. We have William, obviously, at Arsenal. We'll see how he continues to play, what he does to contribute. Older players who have more experience coming into bigger sides and slotting right in. Maybe a way for the future. Obviously, you need to have a base, though. The reason that Thiago fits so well into Liverpool's team is because Liverpool already has a base. Willing can come into our team because we already have a pretty staunch attack. So I think I think it's an interesting mix of buying older, buying younger. See kind of what pans out as the year goes on. Because the thing about the young talent is you have years to develop that young talent. Whereas the older talent, they got to play well now or else they're not playing at all. Well, Zach, it's always good talking to you. Been fun, been fun. I'm sure we'll connect again on the week because we always do. We always talk. Hopefully somebody out there might enjoy listening to us. We would definitely like to give you an update on how we feel the transfer window went, but uh, I don't think that we have too many viewers right now who are desperate to see see some more some more station football content. But if you are listening yep. and if you ha- somehow managed to get this far, Hit us up on Twitter at station underscore USA. We will would love to hear your comments. We'd love to see where we're wrong. We'd love to see how we're stupid and how we should be running a podcast in the future, how we should change things, anything. Let us know. Totally hit us up. Totally make us feel bad about ourselves and everything that we've done so far. It was a good time. Zach? Yeah, see you next week.